Hello and welcome to the Persephone program for November 19th, 2020. And today, kind of randomly, I want to discuss the astrology of progeny. That is the astrology of children and childbirth and raising children and what you can learn to use um, as a tool for guiding your children through life um, with astrology, how you can learn to use astrology as a tool that is for guiding you and how important it is and how meaningful it is to not just learn about your own um, magic circle, that is your own chart wheel and the different and myriad archetypal energetic expressions within it, but also that of your children potentially. And this theme has been coming up so much for me lately as I have watched a baby boom. More people than I have ever known in my entire 54 years are pregnant, giving birth this year, soon to give birth um, at the beginning of next year. Uh, and I've really been thinking about why that is. Now, of course, a lot of people could say, the per, you know, it's COVID and people are at home and not much to do, all that kind of stuff. And sure, that might be it. But I also think it has something to do with uh, the birth of a new society, a new king, the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction at the end of this year on the solstice and how that that freshness, that new energy, because Jupiter and Saturn, of course, are our our societal architects, um, Jupiter with our belief systems, the things that we care about, you know, from uh, our fashion, if you will. And Saturn are, you know, is the structures that we put in place to support our, our belief systems. And because they are now changing from, um, you know, hundreds of years of conjunctions in earth signs with the exception of 81 to 82, um, there's a change. And I think a lot of kids want to be born with that. At the same time, I, I, I also saw that there were children, quite a few children born this year too, um, with that Capricorn um, energy as well, that I think will be doing something very important in the future too. So I kind of wanted to talk about um, indicators of, um, you know, childbirth and how it changes, what to look for in a chart, and also the importance of knowing your children's astrology and how helpful that is. I know it's helped me, um, you know, so much to understand my own children throughout their lives. And remember that my children are effectively adults now, <laughs> you know, at 21 and 26 years old, we would all agree that they are. And I have some insight because I have been a, a conscious mother. That is that I have looked at my children as separate human beings and used the tools that I have had my entire life that were given to me by my mother, the tools of astrology and metaphysics, um, hidden knowledge, divination, things like that, a little bit different. Um, you know, and, and much of the astrological information that I was taught when I was young was 
along the psychological side because um, the astrology of the 60s and 70s, the, the actual 20th century astrology that really started, I would say, with, um, you know, the, you know, many, many different early astrologies, including Alan Leo, that kind of began at the beginning of the 20th century, um, veered towards a more psycho-spiritual approach than the original astrology, the medieval astrology, which was more based on Hellenistic astrology. So it was kind of like, a you know, classical planets, definitely more focused on personal prediction, um, you know, and the fates as opposed to the psychological component of astrology, which is, you know, what I learned. Anyway, rambling. Um, now there's been a really interesting resurgence in traditional astrology and Hellenistic astrology, and there's been a really nice kind of combination of both, you know, that astrology is not this sort of um, completely separate, random, psychological, spiritual experience, but that it is actually also sometimes completely real, meaning it is, you know, transits can be massively literal and show up in your life as an event, um, a physical event, as well as a psychological feeling. But I was kind of raised with a little bit more of the the psycho-spiritual approach that, you know, a Pluto transit to my son would be more of a feeling, if that makes sense, you know, or a spiritual trial. Anyway, um, I looked at the observance of astrology in my life, um, especially as a mother, in both ways, like as literal and also as a feeling or an evolutionary initiatory point, you know, a way for me to expand my consciousness and awareness. And it can be for you too. So if you're listening to this and you're pregnant or you've just had a child or you just want to kind of contemplate um, children... Uh, I'm going to kind of give you everything that, you know, I know about it. So I kind of want to start a little bit with um, predicting pregnancy and, and childbirth. And it's a really tricky um, thing, but in a, in a woman's chart, it's especially, and of course it can be, you can see the same thing in a man's chart too, because becoming a parent, especially for the first time, is groundbreaking. So whether you are a woman and you're actually giving birth or a partner, male or female, who is um, having, uh, you know, your first child, um, there's a there's a difference, I think, between, you know, actually physically carrying the child and giving birth um, and parenting. With parenting, to me, being much more important, you know, um, my own experience of having children and, and getting pregnant which of course happened to me, guess what? At my Saturn return, very typical time period for people to uh, to get married, get, have children, take on the responsibilities of maturity. It's the time when we all step into a role that we're probably going to play for the next 27 to 28 years of our life until our next Saturn return. Um, you know, it's when you create your foundation. So Anyway, um, there were several things that happened to me at, at the time that I gave birth, but it having my first child, it was it became very much um, aware to me that your children come through you. They are not you, and that this is a job. And um, it it really, especially if you take it take it seriously like that, like which I did, of course. Um, so it doesn't in that way like 
I remember thinking it didn't matter whether I had given birth to this child myself or this child had come from somewhere else. It was so obvious to me that my baby, this child was a completely separate human being. So for any of you that are first time moms that are pregnant, and I'm hoping that some of you that are, that I know will listen to this, you'll see. Okay. You'll see when you have your child, it is not an extension of you really. Um, it's a separate, separate human being, a child of the universe. Anyway, there are indicators that really show um, pregnancy and the, uh, the birth too within astrology. And there's different ways that you can look at them. One of the main things that I look at when I'm looking to see if someone has the potential to get pregnant or to have a child is, um, there's, there's several things. The first thing obviously is you want to look at their chart as a whole and you want to look at their, the, the sun and the moon, the fifth house, the, ruler, the planetary ruler of their fifth house, and to see what transits are, you know, coming up. Um, And the fifth house is always one of the first things that I look at, especially when it comes to pregnancy, as well as the midheaven. Midheaven is the cusp of the 10th house. So a real easy one would be transiting Jupiter in the fifth house. Okay. So Jupiter is always expansion, an expansion of a role. And in astrology, the fifth house represents children and creative pursuits, amongst other things. So with um, transiting planets in the fifth house and really um, activating the fifth house, that's a real big indicator of expansion of that. Now, of course, we don't know. It could be, you know, you could have transiting Jupiter in the fifth house and be, you know, a creative person or, you um, you know, even working with children. And you could see the expansion of that theme in your life. So again, you want to look at a lot of different points, but that's that's one really big one. Um, another uh, is the midheaven for women. You can see the midheaven, the cusp of the 10th house, which is our vocation, our career, and also how other people see us in our status. You can see changes to that always, 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 always when women get married and have children. Why? Because even though we live in 2020, getting married and having children is still a big deal for women in general as a theme. Okay. And I'm talking about in general, many women do not, you know, um, get married and have children. In fact, interestingly enough, my mother had, I'd say out of her top dozen friends, maybe only two or three had gotten married and had children. She, within her own milieu, most of her friends were women that never married and never had children. Isn't that interesting? Um, which was something that you could do for the very first time in her generation, I think, you know, successfully and still have a, you know, a a really good life, I guess. But for women, it's a big deal to get married and, you know, you change your name, you change your status. Uh, and you can see that sometimes with men too. Men, men are different. Um, women's sons and their midheavens, uh, are activated with marriage and men's moons are. But women's moons are also highly activated for pregnancy. So I would look at transiting, you know, planets um, in the fifth house, uh, big transits to the midheaven and moon transits either by natally, you know, because the moon changes every two days. We're looking at more like progressed moon or big, um, slow moving outer planets. 
um, or even Jupiter transiting the moon, things like that. Another thing I also look at is um, the elements of the signs. Now, of course, astrology is divided and divided and divided again, just like, you know, like human beings, we're always analyzing everything and taking it apart, but um, it, re it really works in astrology. And so all the signs um, are divided into elements and modes. And the ancients had decided that earth and water signs were considered to be fertile and air and fire um, to be infertile. That does not mean, obviously, that air and fire sign people, sun, moon, you know, ascendant, whatever, are infertile at all. Um, but it does mean that there is more of a focus on fertility in what predominant water and earth charts. So um, I look at the fact, like if I'm looking at someone that is like all fire, okay, and it's, it may be a little bit harder for them to get pregnant, you know? It may not, it may be that their energetic expression isn't one to necessarily, you know, um, have many children. It just depends. And you have to look at a lot of different factors, obviously, and it's fairly complex. So I also look at progressions. I also look at solar arc directions, um, you know, to make predictions as to when the best time to get pregnant is. Planets in the fifth house are also really, so highlighted are water and earth signs, um, predominantly strong moons, moons that fall in water and earth signs, um, you know, especially water, um, the sign of cancer and Pisces, very fertile, um, and Scorpio too, but, um, cancer being obviously the, the cosmic mother, um, you know, you'll find that many cancers, um, are very, you know, part of their life, you know, karma and dharma is to experience, family stuff, either from their family of origin or the family that they create. So you find that a lot. Um, and so I'm always looking when people ask, you know, I'm looking at many different things, but here's a few things from my own chart that are really interesting. Cause I went back and I looked at, um, the transits and progressions and solar arc directions for my, the birth of my two children. Now, both of my children were not planned, meaning I the my first pregnancy when I had just moved into my uh, Saturn return, I I actually used birth control. I was on birth control and I got pregnant anyway, which was one of the indicators that um, made me feel that I you know this this was meant to be. But when I looked at at my chart um, and my transits, I found some really interesting things. Um, the you know, in my, my transiting planets at the time of my, you know, my son's birth, actually, the transiting sun was exactly conjunct my midheaven. So my son, his son is conjunct my midheaven, my direction, my status. Um, when I first, um, you just see too, when I first became pregnant with my son too, we had transiting Jupiter moving through my 10th house of status, uh, as well as the transiting North node. Um, so the transiting North node actually had just conjuncted my, 
um, south node. So I was having my half nodal return. So I was 27 when I found that I got pregnant and 28 when I had my son. And, um, you know, I was moving into my Saturn return. So there were a lot of like really strong indicators of pregnancy and, um, you know, in childbirth. Um, transiting Mars was conjunct. Uh, at his birth, transiting Mars was conjunct my Jupiter um, and had been moving through my seventh house and conjuncting my moon when I first became pregnant. So there was a lot of um, a lot of really strong indicators in my first pregnancy, especially, you know, the big loud ones, you know, Saturn return, um, the half nodal, you know, moving into the Saturn um the half nodal uh, return, uh, Jupiter in the 10th house. All of those things were like really prominent. Um, another sort of minor thing I look for is the asteroid goddess Ceres, which also represents um, mothering and motherhood. And it, it can represent your own experience with mothering and motherhood. Um, and, you know, but... It, meaning your own mother, but it also represents how you mother too. And by transit, she was conjunct Mars, which was both conjunct my Jupiter. So there was something happening along the lines of mothering and motherhood. Um, I mentioned uh, that transiting Mars was, I mean, my progressed Mars was also conjunct um, my midheaven uh, when my son was born, my first son, the big deal. I had Uranus conjunct my conjunct Venus, um, my progressed moon, which is another big indicator, your progressed moon. My progressed moon was conjunct Jupiter too. So that uh, was, that's a big deal. Jupiter's expansion. Um, I, there was an aspect of myself that was expanding. So the second time, and then I mentioned solar arc directions, um, in my solar arc directions, I had Venus and Jupiter conjunct Mars close to the, uh, the midheaven, um, and, uh, Ceres conjunct my moon also in solar arc directions. So that's like another predictive method. So we've got moon, we've got a lot of Jupiter, um, we've got a lot of midheaven status change. Those are big things. Um, when my second son was born, there were also fairly large indicators. Um, we had, let's see what some, some of the big ones. Um, Jupiter was exactly conjunct my IC. So opposite the MC, my IC. So we have Jupiter uh, at his birth. And so his birth is exactly conjunct my IC and it's also trine my moon. So another Jupiter indicator. Um, Saturn was conjunct my North Node, another Saturn indicator. So expansion of the family. Saturn conjunct my North Node in the fourth house, the family. Family responsibilities, all of that. Very strong indicator. Um, interestingly enough, too, the transiting um, moon was conjunct my Saturn. Um, another Saturn. And the transiting north node, so I've got Saturn, transiting Saturn conjunct my north node, and the transiting north node conjunct my Jupiter. Uh, and the and transiting Ceres, again, so we've got Jupiter, Moon, and Saturn. Transiting Ceres, the mother goddess, you know, Ceres Demeter, remember the Persephone myth? Um, the Ceres Demeter was conjunct my Mars, 
which is close to my midheaven. So there's a lot of really powerful indicators. Now I pulled, um, and then let's see. Oh, okay, here's another one. So my progressed moon was also conjunct my Mars and close to my midheaven for my second son's birth. Really, really strong. And, um, you know, I have my moon trine his Jupiter and his Jupiter trine my moon. So like that was very powerful. I have a, a dear, a dear one um, who is very close to me, who is pregnant for the, um, well, she's been pregnant several times, but is carrying her first child and um, has had difficulty. And I wanted to take a look at her chart to see her um, finally this year, her ability to carry a child to term um, because she's had like many people I know uh, many miscarriages, which is something that has happened a lot um, recently. And I want to just briefly mention that, you know, miscarriages, you know, my mom always told me that they were part, you know, of a, the cycle of women's fertility. You know, when I had um, a miscarriage, my mother confessed to me that she had two, which she had never told me before. And you know, and, and said it like that. And I thought that that was a beautiful thing. And, um, I had mentioned in an earlier podcast that I had, that I became pregnant as a teenager and had a termination. And when my mother talked to me about that, you know, guiding me to that choice, you know, we did a little ritual for the soul or spirit of the child and asked it to come back another time. And whether you, when you have a pregnancy loss, whether it is, you know, um, active, that is that you terminate it early on or, you know, it ha it's terminated for you, meaning that there's a miscarriage, there's a, there's a great sense of, of loss, you know, that women have sometimes relief too, but, you know, especially in the, the, the case of termination. But, you know, the idea here is that you can connect spiritually with the soul of the child through ritual and ask it to come back another time. That's something that I did and I feel that I feel very, very comfortable um, with the choices and with the situation that happened to me. So my first pregnancy was a termination. My last pregnancy was a miscarriage. And in both instances, you know, um, I feel that I contacted, you know, or I said a prayer to the soul of this child and, you know, sent them on their way with blessings and love. Um, however, you know, um, I'm not, you know, it can, it can be, you know, a serious loss. And I, I do understand that. And my dear one, she experienced a lot of that. So she is pregnant now and she is due to give birth, um, the very beginning, you know, early in 2021. And I wanted to look at her astrological indicators. And so, you know, there's a lot and most prominent for her, surprise, surprise, um, is her progressed sun and moon in the 10th house. And especially, I kind of like progressed her chart for when I think she's going to give birth. And um, she's got uh, Juno, which is the asteroid goddess of marriage, um, moon, progressed moon and sun, all right on her midheaven, uh, which is really beautiful. Um, and I think that like really indicative of um, 
you know, of this, I guess, status, you know, change and, and this experience that that is going to feel like I know that it's just going to it's going to be a triumph. OK, it's, it's a triumph for her. And um, especially after the loss, uh, her progressed Venus is conjunct series, uh, which is really lovely. And we have transiting Neptune conjunct her Jupiter, her progressed Mars conjunct her Jupiter. So there's a lot of really strong indicators. And then we also have the transiting North Node, Dharma, right, conjunct her Chiron. So it's like finally fate has come to provide her with this child. And you can see it in her chart. Oh, and transiting Jupiter um, and Saturn are very close together just right in her 11th house and they are making aspects to um, her Pluto Venus Mercury combo in Scorpio so this is someone who is really like you can really see that something's real you know definitively happening um and of course like I you know I couldn't specifically predict pregnancy because this Transit looks also a lot like marriage, you know, um, like someone getting married, you know, but but it's very close because we've got the series and the moon um, combo. So, you know, congratulations. I don't not using her name because um, I don't want her to feel her privacy is uh, compromised. But I'm so excited for all of my girlfriends that are having a child for the first time. Now, one of the things that I, I've also looked at is, and one of the things that you can look at when you look at the birth of your child, and it's really helpful to get um, a natal chart done for your child so that you can help understand their nature, their instinctual nature, because that's what astrology is, right? Instinctual nature. Um, it is your programming, so to speak. It's your magic circle that you were that you are supposed to work within. It is your karma and your dharma laid bare. It is your mandala, your cosmic map. So when you know your astrology, you know yourself and you know the gifts and talents. You know, you know your limits and you know, um, you know, kind of like your north star where you need to go. And so, as a mother or a father learning to nourish and nurture your child is essential. Again, the, this is not you. This is a separate human being with their own karma and dharma. And I've told so many parents that, you know, over the years when I've done astrological counseling, that they're not you. They're their own people. So you have to look at them. And if you really want to be a good parent, you don't force your own values necessarily on them. You share them with your family and certainly you can construct a, a family that has a as a foundation your values, but you also know that your kids are going to be their own people. So again, first-time parents, guess what? Here it is, okay? One of the other things that I just want to comment on in parenting in, net, in modern day in 2020 is that, my God, it's so... It's already so different because of social media and because of the information age um, that we're spending so much time like looking at ourselves in a different way than ever before. And it's kind of in an interesting way. Um, you know, it's, it's a different kind of exploration. Firstly, um, 
when I was having my children, I don't think there's one, maybe there's one photograph of me pregnant ever. <laughs> okay. Because we didn't take tons of photographs of ourselves, you know, um, that was maybe for celebrities on the covers of magazines. I mean, the only photograph I think I'd ever really seen of like someone looking beautiful or looking like a goddess was Demi Moore on the famous cover of Demi Moore pregnant, you know, on Vanity Fair. And so many women earlier than today were kind of, were, were modest. We actually tried to hide our pregnancy rather than celebrate it. So that's something really new. And I'm, I think it's really exciting to see women, instead of thinking that they're fat and clunky and horrible, to celebrate their fertility. So I really see that a lot. Like all the women that I know that are pregnant are constantly posting photos of their baby bump and and they're accentuating it, which is not something that I did 26, 27 years ago. Um, so that's really cool. Um, and I also think that there's, but it also, and again, this is only my perception. It also, I feel like there are many people that are very idealistic about pregnancy and childbirth, meaning that they think that it needs to be a certain way. I mean, there's definitely been a movement to bring back a much more empowering birth experience than it happened in the last, you know, 60 to well, last hundred years, maybe. Um, where women feel that they can give birth at home safely, they can give, you know, that they can um, create their own birth plan. Uh, whereas like my mom's generation, women were even given twilight sleep, you know, they were not in control of their birth. And that was a revolution that happened in the 60s and continued through the 70s. And um, and then there was a little period, I think, in the 90s when I had my kids where, you know, surgical births were, you know, cesareans were becoming like 45% of the births. Um, but when I was pregnant, I wanted to have all of that. And I wanted to have this ideal birth. I read all kinds of birth books, like spiritual midwifery and, and all these esoteric books about the spiritual life of the child and, you know, cosmic birthing and things like that. And then... And then I had a breech baby. So my midwives in the state that I was in did not allow, they, they were not allowed to assist my birth. Um, and they recommended me to, uh, because I couldn't get the baby to turn. I was doing, you know, turn, doing all kinds of like upside down exercises, you know, towards the, my 36th, 37th month. And um, they recommended that I try and get something called an external version, which is where they, the doctors come in and, and really try and, um, you know, turn the baby. They do everything they can. So you get, um, you get, you know, shot up and you get numbed out, you get an epidural and they stick their hands up in you. And, and the midwives have been trying to reposition the baby, but, um, you know, at 37 weeks, it's my son was still breech. And they would not allow me. So anyway, I got this external version. It didn't work. Baby went into distress. They gave me an emergency C-section and it was disappointing. But what's interesting is that, but but I want to say baby was perfect. Everything was okay. He was a little early, you know, but um, the surgical birth was also prominent in his chart with a, uh, he's a double Aquarius. He's all error, you know, and so looking at our individual charts and any aspects that we have to um, our child's 
ascendant, the moment of birth, is always a really interesting indicator of the actual birth itself. And that was a bit of a ramble. However, I guess what I really wanted to express with this was that births can still be dangerous. They can still not be ideal. And again, if you are, you know, having a child and you're filled with the coziness and butterflies of it, understand that like our ancestors, um, the, our mo- the mothers before us went into childbirth like a warrior into battle, meaning that there's still blood and bone, there is still a liminal space in childbirth itself that, you know, is sacred. And it, it I guess what I'm trying to say is like, it's, doesn't, it's not always, you know, childbirth itself and having the baby afterwards isn't all um, sweetness, you know, um, for everyone. And so you might have a great birth experience and feel really empowered and then have something that is also very common, which is postpartum depression. Um, You could have, you know, a surgical birth when you wanted a natural one. There's all kinds of things that could happen. But regardless, you were meant to do this. If you're doing it, you were meant to do it and you have the skills and tools to be able to do it. But looking at your own chart, the transits that you're having at the time of childbirth and your child's chart will really help you to develop a good relationship with your child. So um, looking at how, again, one of the first things that you look at is your moon. How do you mother and how do you receive and give nourishment? What is your style? What is your moon style? You know, are you... Um, you know, a moon in cancer. So it's very instinctual, mothering, nourishing. That's my moon. And so even though when I had my first child, I was 3000 miles away from my own mother and alone because little story, my, um, my son's father had to leave the day that I came home from the hospital. Um, and remember I'd had a cesarean because he was in a music video in LA you know, that he couldn't not be in. So he was gone for a week and I was alone by myself with my first child and I had had, and I had no experience. But it was really like good for me because in the beginning, just being with your child and realizing that you have everything that your child needs, you know, even though it's, it's hard, it's hard to learn how to breastfeed. It's hard, you know, none of it's easy, but um, it was also very empowering for me. But anyway, um, do you have a moon in, you know, um, Aries, you know, is your, uh, you know, the, the things that you know about yourself and your ability to give and receive nourishment, a moon in Aries isn't always going to be, you know, super patient with their child. You know, you might have, you know, periods of time where you have bursts of energy and are able to parent and other times where you just need time to yourself, you know, cause it really is all about you with a moon in Aries. Um, But knowing that about your child, too, is really important. Um, And my first son had a moon in Aquarius. uh, And as and he was a Libra, he was all he was like triple air. Um, And as he as a child, I also knew that he needed a lot of space. He needed time. He needed quiet. He needed balance. And so I wanted to give him that. You know, um, as a baby, it's pretty simple. I mean, you feed them, but 
one of the things I immediately knew too, he also had moon conjunct his ascendant was that he was really sensitive to sound, to noises. And so I made sure that I had a quiet environment for him, that I was, you know, that I provided him with serenity. That was one of the first things that I knew about him. Um, and he has Mercury and Venus in Scorpio too. So again, there's a high level of sensitivity that I made sure that I was sensitive to his needs. My second son had a moon in Aries and he happened to have Venus in Sagittarius and he had a Leo ascendant. And another interesting thing too, is that both my son's ascendants and descendants are flipped, just like my parents were. Meaning that the sign or any planets on the cusp of the descendant, the seventh house, kind of represents your partners and what you want from them. And so my um, my second son was like just what my first son wanted in a partner, you know? It doesn't have to be a romantic partner, but, you know, in a partner. Uh, uh, and they were definite, like, partners growing up, you know, even though they were five years, almost five years apart. And there was a really funny story where my older son told my mom when my second son was born, I, my life is complete. I have a mom, a dad, a grandma, and now I have a brother. And isn't that sweet? And so I immediately looked at that and I was like, oh my God, no matter what I do or their dad does to them, they're going to be there for each other. And that made me feel so good. So looking at the relationships that your children have with each other as siblings is really strong. And siblings can be indicated by many different things. The third house in astrology, the house of natural house of Gemini, is your house of siblings. And looking at planets there is also really important too when you look at sibling relationships. But we're talking about your kids right now and your relationship to them. So look at your moon. How do you mother and what was your own experience with your mother? Aspects between the other planets and your moon are great indicators of that. If you've got a Saturn moon aspect, you may have had a difficult relationship with your own mother or in receiving nourishment. Be aware of that as you mother your own children. Okay, be aware that maybe sometimes the experiences that you had with mothering or receiving nourishment might make you tight with doling it out, you know? So just, again, awareness of your own patterns. I understood that my particular pattern of experiencing my own emotional nature was kind of like over, almost over-mothering. Um, and so I, you know, I have, my moon is my strongest planet in my chart. It's conjunct, it's a, it's placed in its own sign of cancer and it happens to be very close to my descendant. So it's very strong. It makes aspects, grand aspects in many different configurations within my chart, including, um, a T square as well as a grand trine. So there's like a, it's like very emphasized and, I tried to pull back. I tried to give my kids more space, you know, because my natural tendency would be to smother. Um, I mean, I don't want to smother, but you know, I did too much for them. It was, I was too, sometimes I think I was too, um, you know, present all the time and worried about things and things, things like that. So using your awareness is important, but also looking at your children's natural modes of behavior. 
Mercury is another really important thing because it's how your kid communicates with you. Um, what element is it in? Is it an earth, water, air, or fire? Um, how do they receive information from you? It's super important to look at those types of things and be able to understand them. If your child has say a mercury and a fire sign they want to be inspired it's like you need to almost be a cheerleader you know for your kid you know and provide them inspiration that's what motivates them okay you know with with earth oftentimes with an earth mercury or an earth moon too you need to provide them with tangible things you know physical attention sometimes material goods you know your kid wants a structured stable orderly life with material goods, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Some kids really care about stuff like that, you know? If it's water, it's emotional feeling that is important to them. And um, allowing them to express their feelings is really, really essential. If your kid's having like, one of the things that really helped me with my second son, who is, uh, has a moon in Aries and he has Leo rising and he has Venus in Sag, he's very fiery. But he's also very emotional because his Mars is in Pisces. And so we had this really urgent moon in Aries. And to be honest with you, as the baby of the family, and also because he did have some, you know, it's a whole other story I'm not going to get into now, but he did have some early um, um, issues. He had a seizure disorder when he was born that mysteriously went away. But, um, and that's another thing too, is like looking at, your children's chart can help with knowing whether or not they have any health issues. And he did have actually Neptune conjunct his son in the sixth house medical astrology, um, indicating a um, mysterious physical debility. And it remained so. And he grew out of it, thank God. But anyway, he was kind of spoiled, okay, is what I'm trying to say. Moon in Aries has a tendency to like want everything now, me. You know, it's very urgent, right? And um, and then he had his Mars in Pisces. So what would happen is that he he was really into sports, and that's another thing. I'm not sporty. My family was very much unsporty, and to be the mother, my first child was like artistic and musical and sensitive, and my second kid was like a jock. And it was very jarring to me to have this experience because it was something I had no experience with, to be like a team mom and to have to, you know, be the mom of a super jock kid. It was different, let me tell you. But knowing his astrology really helped. And so there was a period of time where um, he was having one of his many Mars returns and he was... Um, playing sports pretty much 24-7, but he would cry if he lost. He was really competitive. <laughs> and so he was crying. And his dad was freaking out. He's like, you know, there's no crying in baseball and da-da-da-da-da, you know. And um, and so he wanted him to go to a counselor, which which he did, which we took him to. But I knew that, you know, he this was how he expressed with his Mars and Pisces. He was frustrated and he expressed it through crying. And I didn't trip on it, if that makes sense, you know, because it's like I knew his nature. And I also knew that it would probably get better as he matured because he happened to be a Capricorn. And so a Capricorn kid, you know, he takes things seriously. And over time, he'll learn to control himself. And he did. And he did. So all these little things that, that help 
uh, you know, understanding your child as a separate individual and knowing that you are this caretaker of the soul and trying to figure out your own kids' tendencies and, um, you know, like I did with, with sports and, um, you know, later with my older son with like really knowing that he needed his space. You know, my mom had a moon in Aquarius too, and very strong, strongly Aquarian nature. She had a stellium of planets in the 11th house, the natural house of Aquarius. And I recognize so much of that in my son, you know? And so when I wanted to be close with him, when I wanted him to tell me all about his life, especially as a teenager and talk to him about relationships and stuff, he was, he didn't want any of that, you know? And, um, he also happened to have Venus and Scorpio too. So I knew that he wanted and needed his privacy and I gave that to him. And we had a very friendly relationship. And so I didn't try and push myself on him. Understanding the transits that my kids have um, had was so helpful in me not freaking out. Because that's another thing about parenting is that it is messy and complicated and traumatic even if everything is okay even if your kid is super healthy and all is well and you have a great marriage and a good stable life and you have your job and da 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 your kid's still gonna like fall down or have to go to the hospital or have a high fever or shit happens that is life it is never perfect but kind of looking at astrology and knowing a little bit about what's happening with your kids and their relationships with each other and with you and how they naturally and instinctually behave is so helpful. So helpful. You know, astrology is used as a tool to become a superior parent, you know, and individual if you want to be. And it helps you to understand the why. And there's always a relationship. You can see relationships with the families all the time, especially aspects. So I've done the charts of many um, families. And I had a client once that brought me the charts of four of his children. And what was really interesting about his four children was that it was quite obvious that, you know, he had these kids that were like different ages, they were age differences, but that's normal. But he had, there were all kinds of aspects between this man's chart and his children's charts, but then there were no aspects between, you know, two of the children's charts. And what I could see was that two of his children, you know, were connected. They were separated, essentially. And so we had two kids who had tons of connections to each other, but no connections to the other two kids. And again, the two kids that had connections. to, And so you could tell that they were related, but these kids didn't, they couldn't have known each other. They had no, they had no major aspects to each other in their charts. And so when I, when I went on to the reading and I did the chart with him, I said, do you have two separate families that don't know each other? And he said, yes, because you can always see major configurations within families, karma, dharma, all of that. And those are usually aspects between planets. A lot of times you'll see similar um, signs or their opposition or their squares. The square is the 90 degree angles. And so they, their, um, you know, signs, sun signs or planetary signs, zodiacal signs of, um, the same mode, 
that is cardinal, fixed, or mutable. So like all of the cardinal signs are in 90 degree angle to each other within the chart wheel, and those are considered to be squares. Those I find the most in family relationships. Often there are trines, but mostly they're squares and oppositions. Why? Because our family of origin provides us with the friction, the spark for our evolution and to grow, you know? And because part of the struggle of becoming, similar to the struggle of the caterpillar um, turning into the butterfly and the butterfly struggling from the cocoon is necessary, okay? Meaning that like, our friction-based relationships with our family of origin are the fuel for our evolution. So you see it time and time again, okay? And so I can look at charts of people and know if they're related. And, you know, most of the relationships are kind of tough. Of course, you'll see some trines. Um, my mom's son is trying my son. We have a lot of my mom's Jupiter um, is trying... Um, my moon. So we have a lot of good stuff, but we have tough stuff too. You know, really like my mother's essential nature, her withdrawingness, her Aquarianness was difficult for me, but I had spent so, you know, for my own moon and cancer, I wanted my mom to be close to me. My mom spent many, many, many years when we were growing up locking herself in her room for privacy because she just couldn't deal, (laughs) you know, much as she loved her kids. So it's kind of stuff like that, like, what's your mothering nature, you know? Look at your moon. Look at your moon. Aspects, sign, um, all of that. Um, Really important. Um, Look at your kid's moon. How are they experiencing you as a mother or son as a father? The sun is the father. The moon is the mother in astrology in a very symbolic way. And I can look at kids' charts, too, and see the placement of the sun and the moon as indicative actually, or as as a stand-in almost for mother and father. We also look obviously, and I've done podcasts on this at the ICMC, the cusp of the fourth house and the 10th house. That is the family, you know, where you come from and where you go to look at issues. But if you're a conscious parent who's interested in astrology right now, do some of that work. Take a look at your chart and your kid's chart, especially your kid's chart, how are they experiencing you? You might think that you're a, a, a breezy, easy mom that just like super, you know, it's like great and just loves their kid. And their kid's got like, you know, a, again, you know, moon Saturn conjunction. And you're like, wow, they're experiencing me differently. And so having conversations about that is really important. I remember my mom confessing to me, how sad she was that her second son or her her first son, um, the middle child, that he had a moon in Capricorn. And she was so sad because the moon, you know, is in its fall in Capricorn. It is the opposing planet from its natural state, which is moon in Cancer. And, um, you know, it, it a moon in Capricorn can be difficult because the essential instinctual nature is, it is, it is being funneled through the, the, the lens of Capricorn, which was like very, um, you know, kind of, it's like Saturn, you know, so it's restricted, I guess. And, um, I really saw how my brothers and I experienced my mother completely differently, you know, and it's also our own relationship. My brother, Matt is 
a very um, emotionally like closed person. Um, and that's his essential nature. It wasn't because my mom wasn't a good mother to him. You know, she adored him. But I experienced my mom very differently with the moon and cancer. I was like a little mama's girl. Whether she liked it or not, mostly she, she didn't really like it mostly when you're growing up. Um, but my brother was like withdrawn. He, you know, so if you've got a kid who's got a moon in Capricorn, you know, give them a lot of um, structure and nourishing, but also understand that their own essential nature is emotional nature is a bit restricted. So create structure for them because Capricorn always wants to build things that last, um, but also don't feel hurt if your moon and Capricorn kid isn't like wanting to be hugged 24 seven. Although physical attention is good. Remember that's an earth sign. Anyway, I could probably talk about this forever and we've already made it almost an hour. Do you have any questions about the astrology of children? If you do, get a, get a chart reading done by a trusted astrologer because it's quite complex and we want to look at a lot of different factors, but start to think about, um, about how you were mothered, how you would mother if you are mothering, uh, how you do mother. And take a, you know, take a, a, a look at your child's chart and see how they, what they need and how they need to receive from you. It's very helpful. It really helped me to navigate my way through what I call, what my mom used to call active duty motherhood. Because, you know, when you're mothering, you're mothering really hardcore for, you know, 20 years or so. And then it's like, by the way, it's like kind of like gone, <laughs> you know, you're kind of on back duty, you know which I am now. Um, so I'm, I'm here to help uh, any of you mothers out there that need some guidance with your kids and um, would love to have a dialogue with you and let me know what you think, what your thoughts are. And I hope that you're doing well and I hope that um, the rest of 2020 is uh, better to you, which I think it will be. Um, I think we'll start to see things improve fairly soon. Um, probably after the new moon in Sagittarius on the 14th. Um, and I'm super excited about the jupiter Saturn conjunction, and I hope you are too, and the new world order that is being born. So blessings on all of you, and thanks for listening. As always, have a great day.